my wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure go ahead. Well, well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Welcome back to episode 67. Woohoo! I don't know what that was. Of the Fear of God. <laughs> Your absolute favorite podcast. The one you listen to before all others. The one at the top of the to read pile for all you comic book nerds out there. Um, this is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Today with me is, in fact, co host with the most, Reed Lackey. Hey! <laughs> also, Pat Albert is <laughs> apparently joining us. Oh hey, buddy. Gosh. Hi. How's Happy it going? Happy New Year. Almost. Yeah, almost. Happy? Almost. Merry Christmas? No, no, it's past Christmas. I know. But, but it was last yesterday. Yeah. You look at the calendar. Oh, that's right. For two months from now. Well, Merry, Merry Christmas then. Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy Hanukkah. Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. So what, what listeners... Happy holidays. Yeah. Happy day off of work. What listeners don't know is that in the dead of winter, we're currently recording beside a pool. In what? Southern California. Nice breeze. <laughs> Out in the sunshine. You're in your Speedo. Well, you didn't have to go that far with the visual acuity. Um... So yes, we are we are coming to you, um, recording in October. You're listening to this in December. Um, we are at the end. Yes. Of a scary Burton Christmas. Reed, this has been a fun, a fun little walk down memory lane. Yeah, I was surprised by some of the things that we've observed and gleamed out of things. Um, it, it's and I'm sure this episode will probably be no different. But yeah, this has been this has been enjoyable. I think I think Burton's work lends itself more effectively. I think we were we sort of entered this into like, oh, this will be fun, uh, a fun excuse, but I think it lends itself pretty well to our kinds of conversations, sure. the ones we kind of have. Uh, here's a question for you. Are there any Burton films? Well, I know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> what Burton films did we not discuss that if we did Scary Burton Christmas 2... Yeah, you would want to include. Yeah, well, the easy the easy go to answers would be Sleepy Hollow and Sweeney Todd. I would also make a case for Corpse Bride um, and Frankenweenie, mm-hmm. both of those which have more of a like a horror flavor, horror sensibility than the four we chose to to cover this time around. But no, Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas is is the most obvious of any of the choices. But I think the one today is pretty. Yeah. 
Not Christmas, but... Yeah, yeah. True, true. Not Christmas. I just turned into a cat. Yeah. I'm Catwoman now. Yeah. Kitty magic. Just the lackey I've been looking for. <laughs> oh! <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so let there be no confusion. We are, in fact, today talking about 1990? 80, 80, 88? 88. I didn't have it in front of me. Uh, 88. Beetlejuice, the movie I have to thank for 1989's Batman. Aha, yes, that's true. Um, so, a little bit of a different what you're watching going on right now. We are about to embark into a new year. Reed, is there a what you're watching, reading, listening to that you are excited about either having done post this recording or getting into with the new year? Uh, the getting into that's a, that's a, you like how I, this I is do. A, that's that's a new. It's, it's complicated. It is. That's right. <laughs> um, the I think the I think the getting the getting into would be the harder one to answer. I would say for the one that I you know following this recording that I that I will have done will be the uh, by the end of the year, hopefully, hopefully, I will have finished. I've been spending the entire year watching the films of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. And I started at the very beginning, his very first feature, and and then following his very first feature, uh, the the Pleasure Garden, uh, I then made my way through the entirety of his catalog. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time of this recording, I still I, have. I don't know why you'd ever want to leave the Pleasure Garden. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, Stop right there. But the but so so following as of this recording, I still have. A little more than a dozen to go. How many are there? Uh, I'm familiar with the sort of benchmark ones. Uh, yeah, there's like uh, there's like 57 oh, wow. core proper ones. So um, and, and and I went whole s- sections of time uh, not not getting to it the way that I would have liked to have gotten to it. Um, but yes, because you got stuck in the pleasure garden. Wow, that's not. <laughs> I'm really I really feel bad that that's his first film now. But as of. <laughs> As of this, yeah, as of this recording, I still have about a dozen to go. But hopefully, with the time remaining in the year, I will have been able to complete the the Hitchcock challenge and uh, and been able to watch every single one of his, yeah, every single one of his films. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to round out that number. Most of them I have seen before. There were a few that I was encountering for the very first time, but most of them I had seen before, and a handful of them I think are fodder for our show. I would do. Yeah, I think. Well, the yeah, there's my third favorite film of all time. Uh, I think there definitely needs to, at some point, be a Fear of God episode on Psycho. Batman Superman. Okay. Wow! Wow! No. He didn't do that one. No, he didn't do that, that one. Was after he his didn't time. Do it. it would have been. It felt very Hitchcocky. In the it would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What part of Hitchcock I, specifically? I'm just kidding. I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to work it in there. Um, awesome. Well, I think maybe for me. You actually got me a book for my birthday. Thank you. You're very um, By one Mr. Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, called We Were Eight Years in Power. Um, I read his um, Between the World and Me this year and was very appreciative of and challenged by it and am looking forward to diving into that. I'm actually hoping by the time this airs to have actually read that. Um, in terms of just pop culture stuff, I'm, I'm looking forward to... Star Wars. I'm looking forward to oh, sure. Thor. Sure. I'm looking forward to some of those sort of benchmark movies. Um, even, heck, even by 
according to when we're recording this right now, I'm looking forward to Stranger Things too. Oh, it's going to feel like a very Pandora's box of, or you know, time wow. loop kind of experience we're having right now. It's really bizarre. I know. Because people I know. are going to be like, "Well, they already covered it." Like, like what? What happened? Go back and listen to your episode. Right, right, Nathan. right. right, right. <laughs> Hang on, I'll go do that. Oh, turns out that was awesome, Reed. Yeah, that's Stranger thing. Things too. <laughs> Um, so that's been another uh, uh, Back to the Future version of what you're watching. Do you want to sing it? I don't have I don't have something <laughs> I know, in pocket. I know. I know. Uh, we'll let that be. 2018 is a new year. We'll come <laughs> up with some new tunes. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about the end of 2017. I know. This is just the this is just the relaxing. You know, we're we're by a pool, everybody. So this is just yeah, the, this is getting, the chill. Yeah. This is the chill fear of God episode. Yeah. So yeah. there it is. Southern California, just chilling by the pool. Yeah. Nice breeze coming down off the mountains or the, something. There's not that. Yes. There are mountains right over there. That's a hill. On a hill far away. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Oh, no. Um, so today we are talking about Beetlejuice. Yes. We are finishing A it's Scary Burton Christmas um, in which we talked about Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, and now Beetlejuice. Read. I love this movie. Oh, I love this movie so much. I yeah. love this movie. I love this In movie fact, so much. In fact, what I wrote down is the opening of this movie warms my heart. Oh, yes. It's yes. It's like, I think I made a reference to this with Danny Elfman a couple weeks ago, but like, it's like, it's like putting on a cozy blanket. It's like getting yeah. under the cozy blanket, like, oh, oh this yeah. is going to be fun. Anytime it starts, I have the same exact experience. It's, it's boom, boom. so, yes. Boom, boom. That's all. Oh, because boom, boom. that... Pee-wee's Big Adventure doesn't quite have... Uh, no, it does. That, Whatever you're going to say that might be a slight towards Pee-wee's Big Adventure... It's not a slight. Let me finish my sentence. <laughs> Everyone I know have... has got a big butt, Reed. Wow. What is your big butt? Wow. <laughs> what I was about to say okay. before I was interrupted is it doesn't have the noteworthy score that True. Beetlejuice does. Oh, I'm right? You mean I was, I was about to well, say something got, that like, you were going to agree is with? Is Twisted Sister saying you're going to burn in hell? I don't, wow! <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? What yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But but I'm just saying like, so what I was about to say okay. before I was interrupted and you were like whatever it was that like the score for Beetlejuice is so definitive Elfman, right? And and that I can't remember off the top of my head. I should probably look it up if Elfman did the score for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I believe he did. But it does not have the flavor specifically that Beetlejuice does to elicit that response. Right, where the moment right, you first right. hear those couple of notes of intonation, you're immediately drawn into like, oh, this is right. This is that world, you know. And um, Beetlejuice, I believe, was the very first Tim Burton movie I ever saw. Um, I remember seeing it as a, as a kid, probably seven or eight years old, um, and uh, I just I loved it so very much it's always well, been a favorite it would have to be at least a no because my birthday's late in the year well i guess you're contradicting depends. me a lot i'm just thinking 1988 i you're know 1980 i know but i was born towards the tail end of 80 okay whatever so but you don't so, have to look it up right now i'm gonna <clears throat> you, you open you're pandora's getting, you're box getting, you're getting <laughs> live action real real in real time <laughs> Nathan Reed been hanging out for three days this is uh, this is what usually uh, happens when we have Nathan to okay so I am now firmly confident that that I was probably seven years old because it came out in March of 88 
So there was a multitude of months. Well, you win, Reed. You win. You <laughs> That's won. what matters. I know. That's I what know. matters. You destroyed me at risk. Uh, oh, me that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Now I know the end. No, 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 no. Um, I, I am pretty confident I did not see this in the theater. I don't know when it would have been. But some. I, I think I referenced this on Batman Returns, but between Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Batman, and this... Those, those. I have such a fondness for that trio of movies. Sure. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I oh, love yeah. Them. Uh, highly, highly quotable. Very enjoyable. I have a one one thing that I'll break in right there, just because you talk yeah. about the association. I have a strong association with my my grandparents' home uh, with so many of Burton's movies because it would usually just occasion that I would see them in the summer, and I would be spending time with my with my grandparents mm-hmm. uh, at, at a time when I would see them. And so I'm just, just you saying that trio and everything. I was like, wow, I saw, I saw all of those at, you know, like while spending time with my nanny and papa, which is, is so interesting to me. I never would have put that uh, association together, but, but it's true. I'm just remembering like, oh, no, that's where I saw that. That's where I saw that. That's where I saw that. So it's, uh, yeah, it, that's just an added layer of affection and nostalgia for that time period. Well, and, you know, deviating a little bit from the Beetlejuice conversation, do you have, um, you know, you reference Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd. What was the other one? You said uh, Frank and Weenie, and uh, Sleepy, Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just general cynicism, and I can own that, but I can't think of anything really of the last almost decade or so that I would say, like, of his work. Nothing, nothing fits the mold these three do. Mm, right, 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 you know, right. right. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, as we discussed, though not necessarily directed by him in that wheelhouse, I do have a lot of fondness for a lot of fondness sure. for a lot about it. Right, but right. But that's more as an adult discovery, as opposed to these three, which you know, may, maybe in that opening your eyes to what movies can do and be and feel like. Sure. Idea, but I, I don't have much that I would point to as, like, favorite Burton beyond some of these we're talking about. Yeah, um, the only one for me, which I know you haven't seen, is is Frank and, Re- Frank and Weenie was 2012, and I love Frank yeah. and Weenie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that many people consider it, like, an utter true ter- return to form for Burton, mm-hmm. but it is definitely, like, if you, if you were to watch Frank and Weenie right now and discover that it, you know, it's not true that it did, but if you were to find out that it had been made in this same time period, you would, I think, understand and agree. Like, oh, that makes sense. It feels sure. of that time sure. period. So that's the only one that I would say, like, I really love that one. The rest of them, yeah, I wanted to like, um, but the farthest I got with them is, yeah, that was that was good. It was okay. I love Ed Wood. I really do. Yeah, but Ed Wood was alone. Sure, sure. No, I agree. But yeah. that's kind of like Middleburton. Oh, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean yeah, it's 94. Of, you you sure. are correct. The question I asked was more the last decade or so. And, and even this, I think, falls close close to, if not out of this last decade. I like Big Fish. I don't Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Big, Big Fish, I think, is, is really good. It's really strong. That yeah. was about, about 14 years ago at this point, yeah, yeah, bordering yeah. on 15. But, but yeah, I, I agree. There's the, I think that... The people I guess. I guess a question. I'm sorry to cut you off. I guess the question is: Are we cynical adults, mm. or is he a cynical adult? You know? oh, oh, <laughs> I don't right. know. I don't know. No, I think in large part he's <laughs> he's changed. Um, I think that I shouldn't say he's changed. I do feel like 
the films that he's made um, in the latter decade, many of them, if not all of them, uh, feel different or other than his preliminary work to the to the degree that yeah i don't i don't know that they are that they would be in the same category or that they would be of the same caliber and and i don't think it's just that popular opinion has kind of waned on him i do think there's been a sort of a plasticity that's that's been infused to where there's not there does not seem to be the vibrance that there once was um which is interesting because i feel like and it's for some reason the Shyamalan conversation has come to mind too like I see a Burton trailer and I think yep that's that's Tim Burton you right, know like, right, like there's right, nothing right, right. And, and almost to a worser degree things like didn't he do at least one of the Alice movies oh he did yeah Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass he did both of them um, yeah. that Dark Shadows like there's yeah. this way in which it's like okay you, you know you've like sold out completely right you know? oh, <laughs> Which again yeah. sounds real mean, but but juxtaposing that with like a Shyamalan, who it's hard to have this conversation outside of knowing Glass is coming and that we got split. But you know, there were a couple years where you'd see a Shyamalan trailer and it looks like a Shyamalan, but right. you kind of roll your eyes. You're mm, like, right, oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I might see it. Sure, like sure. I just wonder what it would take for me personally, even. Mm-hmm. Burton to be like, oh, wow, right. That's a lot of fun, right? And I really loved it. And yeah. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I, well, and I think uh, to, don't want to camp out here too much because we have other elements to get to specific to Beetlejuice. But I think the other thing about it is that um, his early stuff has a a very distinct macabre sensibility that Sweeney Todd and Frank and Weenie. Well, see, but then there's Dark Shadows as well. I just feel like his recent work is a little bit too uh, colorful and not as... not. A, I'm going to use the word because it's what it feels like. Not as twisty. Not twisted, but not, sure, a, not sure. as twisty as some of his earlier stuff is. And I don't know. Like When I heard he was doing Alice in Wonderland, I was like, oh, Burton's a great choice for that. When I heard he was doing uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I was like, oh... Burton's a great choice for that, right. you know. But then the the works themselves don't right. wind up delivering on the the expectation or the potential. Uh, we're in, you know, right now, and we'll see how it all plays out. Um, he's developing and will direct uh, the live action Dumbo for Disney. I immediately thought, oh wow, Burton's right. a really interesting choice <laughs> right, for that. Right. We'll we'll see. We'll, well see what and happens. I think you're actually targeting too something that I would identify. And and yes, I agree with you. Let's get into Beetlejuice, but wrapping up this series and talking about some of these broader issues too I think is good but um, uh, Edward Scissorhands Nightmare Before Christmas Beetlejuice specifically Mm. these are such unique creations yes and I think that's what disillusions me I'm like Mm. this is why it feels like and yes is it a cruel kind of phrase maybe this is why it feels like you've sold out a little bit Right. Not that you can't make the Dumbo or the Alice or the Dark Shadows, but you can also do the other things too. Sure, you know, sure, and, yeah. And clearly, you have slash have the imagination to conceive of of new properties and that right. sort of thing. Right. Um, right. I think that may be what I'm identifying to. Um, even Ed Wood, I mean, on a certain level, that's that's a while yes, sort of rooted in some other real world kind of thing it's still very much of itself 
Ah, uh, mm. it's not like Dumbo. <laughs> uh, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, without much further ado, let's go meet the sandworms and talk about some Beetlejuice, mm, man. Indeed, indeed. Um, what? What are some trivial bits you want to hit, Reed? I've got one or two that I'm curious if you're going to bring up. And uh, well, there's one that we talked about off pod that I am gonna that I am gonna let you uh, bring up. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Uh, the the uh, uh, original script. Uh, the the. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah. may have to pull that so, up. But, so, yeah. uh, but well, if you have to pull it up, then I'll mention it. Sure. The, like the original script for this was going to be a much grittier, darker horror film yeah um and uh yeah some of the things that are i don't even know if we should get into so many of the specifics because i don't but go look it up because it's fascinating yeah i mean it's it it is a real i had this experience a couple years ago um uh, ed catmull's book creativity inc which is a lot Mm. about the backstory of pixar as a studio right specifically they chart the development process of the story of up Mm. and it is fascinating that Early dra- early conceptions of that movie. I'm not making this up. Involved like this kingdom in the clouds. Oh wow! It was so wow like, to read the path from where they started to where they landed. It's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah. So uh, while I agree with you, some of the elements of this initial version of Beetlejuice are it, they're not they're inappropriate. Um, it is. I would encourage listeners to go check it out because it's pretty fascinating. Wow! Like, how do you get from that? Sure. To yeah, this, yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. And um, and so that was the main thing is that just I used to think because Tim Burton did not write this story is like oh well how much responsibility does it take for it and then finding that out I was like oh then then he's utterly responsible for it because his development and and ultimate direction of it uh, taking it in this more comedic direction right, right. It, I think <clears throat> land, lands us with the film that we have today so right. so yeah yeah I totally totally uh, was fascinated to find out. That it used to be much darker and grittier than the end well, result. and this uh, to this isn't necessarily in, uh, on my list of trivial things to talk about. But I was just reading today in prep for our conversation. I I dove down the the rabbit hole of the um, the cartoon, mm, mm-hmm. and and you talk about uh, you know s- degrees of separation from one version of a property to the next. It's so weird. Like it's oh yeah 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 the the so there was this cartoon in 1990 uh, that actually was pretty successful for whatever network it was, but the premise of it was Lydia and Beetlejuice as besties, <laughs> kind of the back and forth between the netherworld and and the real world. And I'm like, the movie is not no that relationship no you know? not so at all. It's just so not interesting how. Yeah how these things get shaped over time. Right. Well, and I'll mention on this, because I was, I was kind of going to do this in, in likes, dislikes, but um, Beetlejuice is the title character. He doesn't appear at all. until. Well, he has that that uh, vocalization, uh, you know, oh, i got to get a job, business section, you know, the, the obituary <laughs> thing. Um, he, he, that's earlier on, but he, we don't see him until about 25 minutes into the film when he's doing that. You know, commercial. commercial. I don't think you want me to eat. I swear, you think you want me to swallow. You know, like all of that. Come stuff. on down, now. Two hot dogs. That's right. That's right. I got demons running all through me. So, so until that, we don't see him, oh, and, he, and he doesn't have his first interactive scene with the Maitlands. No, he doesn't have his first interactive scene with the Maitlands until uh, forty-five minutes in. 
And on top of that, he's the villain. Right. He's the right. he's the bad guy in this right. movie. And so I don't it's know. Just, I think Otho is kind of bad. Well, Otho's, <laughs> Otho is definitely bad. But um, but but Beetlejuice is the ultimate. Like the climactic scene is: Will Beetlejuice get what he wants, right, or will everybody right. else be okay? <laughs> and yeah. and so <clears throat> it's yeah. Hi, lady idiots of sound mind. Oh yes, yes, I love that man of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's but th- that's fascinating to me that he has become. Because he's the one, you go to Universal Studios and uh, they have a, a Beetlejuice character, which it's, it's fascinating to me that you see that at Universal because it's a Warner Brothers picture. But you, you can go to Universal Studios and usually they will have a person in Beetlejuice You outfit. have to say his name three times to get him to show up? Yes. That'd be amazing if that was Wouldn't actually it? the case. Oh, man. That'd be great. But we have a couple of, you know, Sawyer got to meet him when we went a few times ago. And, and yeah, it's, it, it, it's fascinating that he's so, that we're so fond of him as we are because he's the villain oh, of the yeah. piece. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, and and again, if you if you look at the development of the story, early stages, he's this winged demonic thing, right? Right. You know, that's more more chaotic monster than this sort of con man pervert, right? This sort yeah. of what they landed on. Sure. Uh, two fun trivial bits. One, uh, Warner Brothers initially disliked the title, and wanted, oh, to, I didn't call, hear this. wanted to call the film House Ghosts. As a joke, Burton, who did not like that title, suggested the name Scared Sheetless and was horrified when the studio considered using it. Oh, no. <laughs> that's awesome. The, the other, now this is, this is all from Wikipedia, so hopefully it's correct. Burton's original choice for the role was Sammy Davis Jr., Really? Yes. It oh my said that. gosh! I don't know if I'm wow. getting April Fool's here, but it said that. Oh, I couldn't wow. believe it. That's amazing. That's such a weird. We'll just go with it. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. We'll just go we'll with just it. Say sure, it's true. Sure. Um, uh, we can pivot into sort of general uh, likes dislikes here, and I, I I want to say I said some of these things during Batman Returns. Holy crap, Michael Keaton. Oh, yes. Goodness oh, my gracious. gosh. Yes. He, um, I was tempted to use the profane version of this word and just have you censor me, but I'm going to go with the meta version of this statement. And I said, Michael Keaton is so Batman crazy. Oh, oh, yes. I mean, he's yeah. crazy. He is yeah. beautifully, amazingly, fantastically crazy. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. if you ever doubted his abilities that commercial that you just referred to oh yeah 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 as his full intro to the film sure like like it's a slow clap kind of performance you're like yes sir i'm gonna clap and stand for you and cheer for you yeah because i'm so stinking swept up by his performance that's yes no kidding no kidding i and i have right here that so much of his performance was actually improvisation. Yeah, yeah. Which is stunning. I, like, I would be curious, like, I haven't done enough digging to know, like, specific lines or scenes or that sort of thing, but yes, I did read where a lot of it is just him riffing. Right, yeah. And, uh, like... It does make you wonder about the F-word scene, like... I know, right, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Was that scripted? Was it's, that... Such an, it's such a random moment. It's such a random sure. inclusion. Yeah. I mean, it's a random character, so right, it right. kind of all works, but... Well, one of the things that I found out, because I had mentioned to you off-pod, that the, um, the moment when the only time you see Keaton through the mask, like, like he's wearing a heavy amount of makeup, doesn't really look like himself, 
uh, not sound like himself, doesn't make the same vocal intonation. So he just utterly disappears into the character. Like for the longest time, I, I don't even remember when I made the connection, but I know for a fact that as a kid, I did not know, I did not put together that Beetlejuice was Batman. Right, I, I did right, not right. know that. Right. Um, and so I can't remember when I made that connection, but I remember it being rather eye-opening, like, holy cow, really? Right. Um, but the only time that you see him through the, the character is when they're like, you know, like, are you qualified? And he's like, <laughs> well, I attended Juilliard, uh, graduated of the Harvard Business School, and everything. That's right, all... Right real for Michael Keaton. Sure. Like that, that wow, those are true wow. facts about him. And so then he just sort of, you know, dove back into the persona of Beetlejuice coming out of that speech there. But yeah, I mean, when you think about um, anybody else playing this role, I just can't conceptualize it. Right. I can't visualize anybody other than Keaton <clears throat> embodying this character. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's truly it's truly a magnificent performance. It's a stunning, staggering performance. Something um I do think the script is fantastic. Uh, now yes. again, I don't know how much of what I'm referring to as the script is his improvisation or not. But my, the top of my likes dislikes list, believe it or not, and I think in, in, in assessing the Tim Burton conversation we had just a minute ago, what I wrote is this film is such a curiosity. Mm. It's so high concept. Yes. But it works. And I it's it feels like one of those types of movies they just don't take a chance on anymore. And that uh, makes yeah, me sad. Right, you know, right, because, I understand. Because it is bursting with imagination yeah. and craziness and Well, and you know what's funny? Concept. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to... Uh, we're going on a ton of rabbit trails here, so I don't want to go down this path for too long, but I think the difference there is big studios don't take chances on this movie anymore. Like Warner Brothers would sure, not have developed sure. a property like this. I think this does exist in the independent market. I think there would be there would be films that would come out that uh, you know I'm thinking about last year's The Lobster, which is a bonkers yeah. film. It's not a comedy, right. but there are there are many things happening in the independent world that I think are of this sort of bold, creative, inventive choice. But here's where I'm agreeing with you: right, is right, that right. this was developed by Warner Brothers, right? And I don't think that, well, that Warner Brothers also, would have done that. Again. I don't disagree necessarily with the connection you're making to Lobster, although. I think what I would say is, does a stu- is a studio required for this component? I don't know. The lobster is not accessible. I liked it, and mm. it's absurd and kind of wild. But yeah. it's not accessible. Like you don't mm. have twelve-year-olds, ten-year-olds watching the lobster. Right, right, right. 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 And I think yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Is it's yeah. like the, the concept is so high, but it really is targeted for. I'm hesitant to say family, but a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, sure. It's got right, this, right, right. It's it's high concept, but intended for a, li- a bit broader appeal. Um, whereas some of the things that would at least align with something like the lobster is not interested in broad appeal whatsoever. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> well, um, and the lobster was the most immediate example. To sure, mind. sure, given, sure. Given a few more minutes, I'd prove my point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, or I think stuff that would be where, real high concept again is going to have more bite. Is mm. going to have more cynicism. Is going to yeah, have maybe yeah. dark. A, a kind of dark edge to it. Now, yeah, that's totally that's totally true. Um, there are definitely, I, I think, also the independent market leads leans adult. Right. They right, don't market right, to kids right, right. Um, because they know that kids are they're, they're probably not gonna they don't need the kid market. Sure. So they go PG thirteen or R. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, although, as you pointed out to me the other day, this movie is PG. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's PG because like the reason that's crazy 
Because at first somebody might be like, oh yeah, yeah, I see Beetlejuice being PG, but then you realize how vulgar the character of Beetlejuice is, and his innuendo is abundant. Right. And and we you referenced earlier, like delivers an F word. Right. Right in the middle of the of the movie, and it's like what? Uh, uh, like that's why we we haven't even entertained the notion of showing it to our son, you know, right, anytime right, right, soon. Even right. though I watched it at seven, um, it's just kind of like and look what, at I, you. I know, right? All the problems, right. but <laughs> but that that's the thing that uh, just I find so fascinating, and and the reason it's even more fascinating, astute listeners might be like, well, PG thirteen wasn't invented until you know the advent of Gremlins and everything. It was in existence for Beetlejuice. Hmm. PG thirteen was around in eighty eight, sure, because it was created largely because of Temple of Doom and Gremlins, right, which precede right, this. Right. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's not so, but. I mean, still, I think they've retconned it to being PG-13 now. So, like, if you look it up on IMDb, I think it actually says that it's PG-13 now. But, uh, actually, no, I'm wrong. I just looked it up and it's PG. Wow. But, uh, I mean, that's crazy to me. So, listeners, parental guidance is suggested when you watch it this is. movie. It is. Indeed it is. I was a little... So, it had been a very long time since I'd watched it. You know, I, some of these movies like this from this era, I do, when I rewatch them, tend to watch them with an eye towards could I show my kids this not just the language but having daughters and stuff like the you know the perverted element to it yeah and yeah just yeah like so I, I, I was disheartened because I'd forgotten about like the brothel sort of scene and the model oh you know, right like, right okay, right yeah. whatever I mean it's cute and funny for the movie but probably not really appropriate uh, <laughs> right <laughs> um, so many so many great lines in the script I love Alec Baldwin's handbook for the recently diseased oh right right it's right, right. delivered with so little fanfare it's great um, so great you and I referenced this maybe during the fly the help me help me oh yes yes great. oh that's um, so funny learn to throw your fool your friends fun at parties <laughs> when you have a fun you have something to nice. <laughs> Oh, dude. I'll, I'll let you say it if you want, your exorcist line, because I think about oh. you every time. See the exorcist nearly 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Is that when his head spins around? No, it's right before it's that. that. scene. Because he's, he's giving that whole big speech about, like, <clears throat> you think I'm qualified? And then he's, he, so then they start to leave, and then he jumps on him, and he's like, hey, we shop at the same store, because he, you know. <laughs> God, I love him so and, much. And then, and then he's, uh, I, I forget exactly, in the moment, I forget exactly what leads up to it, but he's like trying to sell himself on something. Right. And he's like, oh, no, you know, I, I, I do this and then I can do this and then, uh, you know, hey, this is this is what the point is. And then all of a sudden his head just spins yeah. around and he stops it and then he's just like, hate when that happens. Don't you hate when that happens? It's so manic. I know. I don't think they had like monster energy drinks in 1988, but I don't oh, know how man. much coffee he had to pound before I'm doing kidding. these scenes. It's, it's comedy gold. Like that, that moment when they get sucked down into the model and they meet him for the first time, that whole thing is just delightful. Again, it's it's a little adult. I mean, he mimics masturbation. He does all this all this innuendo. I, when I watched this, I was like, did he really do that? Yeah, I never would have yeah. picked up on that. Yeah, and that's where seven. the f word is is right, 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 right. right, right. Um, but the but yeah, I mean, it is it is hysterical <laughs> as a as a sequence, and it's a it's a tour de force for Keaton sure. as a as a performer. You know. Um, so yeah, I I I love that whole sequence. It's it, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. What are some likes dislikes for you? Um, I've got a couple, but I, want, I think that well, I, I wanted to mention that that scene specifically. Just I think, and and also I think the lobby of the dead 
is absolutely it's hysterical. Yeah. You know, like, but now one thing maybe should have been mentioned in trivial bits, like, so everybody in that lobby is reflective of the, ver- the, the way they died, but the Maitlands are not sopping wet through the whole movie. And sure. that was actually a consideration that they, they made an active choice not to do that because it would be so uncomfortable right, for Baldwin right. and Davis <clears throat> to spend the whole movie sopping wet. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's the, that's the only thing is, uh, you know, you could ding it a bit for continuity, but I think that whole sequence in the lobby is just absolutely I would not have caught this without reading it, but did you read or ascertain, uh, during the dinner scene, which we'll talk about, Otho references people who commit suicide become civil servants in the afterlife. Yes, which is exactly right. what the lobby displays. Right. Yeah, I mean, if the, I'd have known woman, the what woman, I know now. Yeah, the woman at the desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the, I can't remember her name, the, the smoking woman with the... Juno. Cut through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, their caseworker. Right, right. Yeah. It's even alluded to, it's suggested that the flat guy, you know, who's on the on the thing... Yes, that he did. That he exactly. killed himself. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that little bit of continuity that you just if you're not really paying attention that you wouldn't really pick up on that yeah exactly um the only other thing that i had is just you know the performances we will you know sing the praises uh backwards and forwards about keaton and he definitely outshines everybody in the film but i will praise specifically um i feel like Catherine o'hara um she's wonderful in this but also Winona Ryder, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, like they are they are really outstanding performances. They are outshined by the exuberance of Keaton. Sure. But they are solid, they're funny, they're they're well timed, well realized. Um, I, I I love all of those performance in the, performances in this film. Uh, again, Keaton casts a big shadow. Sure. But uh, I didn't want it to go without saying that I think those those core people especially are just really strong performances. It's very Well, good. and in the spirit of that, what I wrote down, I texted you this was if you can set aside just the general insanity of the Deo dance sequence. Yes. Catherine yes. O'Hara in that scene is a marvel. Yeah. I mean, her selling that. I mean, I, I enjoy her anyway. I, I as an as a college person up through current she's plug, pretty plugged into the Christopher Guest stuff right, um, right. so I really do enjoy her in that and those pieces as well but that scene if you ever had doubt about her comedic capabilities that scene alone would, would sell it you know mm-hmm. on her talent but that uh, and, and let's not even look uh, overlook it I mean that scene is insane yeah oh my gosh it's fantastic well and I was even making a a, a, I wrote down in one of my notes like I uh, I don't know how they did like I don't like what I'm I don't mean like how did the people making the movie produce the scene that's easy enough to figure out I'm like how did the Maitlands do that you know and and so so but then you know but then at the end you know he snaps his fingers and she's doing the dance because she got an A on the math test but but uh, you know so you just kind of roll with it like oh they, they gain abilities right, as right. they move as they progress in their ghostdom as it were um, but I remember thinking this watch around I was like how did they accomplish that? Well it's funny to that because until this rewatch I think I had forgotten it was them who was responsible for that oh I gotcha like, I okay. think I yeah, probably yeah, yeah. would have if you'd asked me independent of that watch I probably would have said Beetlejuice is who orchestrated that sure. sort of going on um, lots of great quotables one thing I wrote down in my likes dislikes um, one I just love 
how what I wrote down is good hmm. uh, Adam and Barbara are yes. to each other. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, yeah. it's really sweet characters and performances to the point that it is heartbreaking when they're summoned at the end. Oh, yes. Like, that's heartbreaking. Yes. And, and uh, Barbara, in particular, has this real gentle look to Lydia mm-hmm. that's just, it's devastating. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that whole sequence is, is kind of rough. So, but, but here's the thing. This is what I think is so brilliant about this movie, is because it's a very quick succession of, I don't want to call it an emotional roller coaster, because that implies more devastation than really happens. Otho makes this mistake, and the stakes are high for them. So Otho makes this big mistake, and you're like, oh my gosh, somebody do something. Somebody do something. And so then when Lydia goes to like, I know somebody who can do something, right. I'm actually invigorated at that moment. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm thrilled at that moment that she's going to call on the villain of the movie. Right, right. You know? and, right. and I think, and I love, I think I've said before on Pod, I love it when a film can make me excited. They, they, they do it frequently in horror films where... Um, and, and it's much scarier when this stuff happens. But that sequence where it, 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 an immediate example doesn't quite come to mind. Oh, well, no, I'll use the one that does. Freddy vs. Jason. You haven't seen Freddy vs. Jason. No. But part of the conceit... I've of, lived it. What? I'm just kidding. Right. I said i lived it. <laughs> Hashtag HHN. So, um, <laughs> but Freddy, the conceit of that film is that Freddy brings Jason back because people have forgotten about Freddy. So he brings Jason back so that Jason will start killing and will make people start thinking it's Freddy and he'll gain power and everything like that. So that's the premise of it. But then Jason gets too out of hand. So that's what collides them into combat with each other is because he's like, well, hey, now now you've got to stop. So then Freddy and Jason are combating. I know that that's a silly movie, but it's very fun. Where I'm going with this is that when Freddy is like after the, the main characters of that film and we're like, Oh my gosh, he's about to get the main girl, the one that we don't want him to sure, get. You sure. know, he's about to get her. And then Jason steps in and kind of saves the day. There's a moment in right. the audience where he's a monster. Sure. He's an absolute monster, but there's a moment for the audience when we're like, oh yeah, you know, right, like right, the, right. where it's like, oh man, the, the big bad. It's like, it's the feeling I always used to get in The Sopranos when. Tony Soprano is a bad, bad person, but when somebody would be mistreating one of his kids, I'm sure, like, sure. you are poking the bear, right, right. and he's going to get you. It's that kind well, of thing. Well, and, and to source it to a, a movie we've actually covered, uh, you're making me think of uh, the climax of Jurassic Park, when the T-Rex shows up yes. to take the Velociraptor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's that same feeling, where it's like this thing that was a tremendous threat, right. and that we're very and afraid of. the primary threat, really. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Comes in to save the day, and that, that I really kind of like. <clears> um, and that happens... In this, when he, you know, when like Lydia goes and gets Beetlejuice to come in and save the day, and then that bleeds right into like, okay, well he's he's saved the day for them. He's got them out of their circumstance, but now we've got him to deal with. Right. right. So it's a very quick succession of excitement, and that that whole thing is just ghastly, ghoulish fun. The whole last like 30 minutes of that whole climax is just really really fun and i love it i love how everybody keeps trying to say his name yeah, and and yeah. he's like stopping them. yeah <laughs> well, it's so gross when his jaw falls off oh my gosh um, it's great well and and i think you're identifying too something about this movie that that would be kind of in a screenwriting 101 but rarely is it so clearly defined it's maybe just a thought maybe one reason this movie does work really well is everyone has very clear 
desires and intentions yes. and motivations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Adam and Barbara want their house back, or, 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 at, or at the least want these people who are more sort of selfish and and not like them out of their house. Right. Well, the people trying to move into the house want the house to themselves and want to do what they want, you know, and Beetlejuice kind of wants chaos and wants freedom. Sure, and the, sure. You know, yeah. so, so there's a lot of real defined intentions that just kind of come into conflict in that scene. Sure, you know? absolutely. No, um, absolutely. Um, that, uh, I mean, that's sort of the, the final like-dislike I have. Cause, and if you notice, I don't have any dislikes. Sure. I yeah, love the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my final like is, I love that occasionally, but not heavy-handedly, it like winks at you. I remember there's a moment when they're talking to Juno, the caseworker, and uh, and when they're sitting there talking to him, the light changes, but it has a shot of Baldwin and Davis, and they're like looking around that the light has changed. Oh, uh-huh. it, but that's yeah, all it is. Yeah, like yeah. the light just changes, but they look around like what just what just happened. Right. And so so I love that occasionally it lets you in on on the facade and lets you in sure. on the joke. Um, so oh, yeah, uh, you, you talking about Juno makes me think of that bit that I love of the the, the dead football players. Oh, I don't think Coach. we survived that crash. <laughs> Random in my reading, I don't know if you remember this. When Adam and Barbara first show up into the waiting room, into the lobby, I believe it's that scene. Over, over the intercom, you hear a reference to a, a flight crash. Oh yes, That's I remember that. An actual unsolved mystery kind of thing in the real world like they're the the flight they reference actually oh, crashed wow. in the real world and no one ever really ascertained what happened oh my gosh so that wow. was a bit of an interesting wink one my last like um is i actually think the effects hold up pretty well i agree you know wholeheartedly um the sandworm looks pretty pretty good yeah you know yeah. i mean like it's clearly stop motion but it's like it but well yeah. which sort of speaks to what we were talking about with nightmare before christmas you yeah know, how mm-hmm. stop motion is a medium like mm-hmm. if all that stuff was digital purely yeah there's no way right it, it wasn't even really developed then but right 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 you know i think part of it is because that medium lends itself really well yeah to, long, to longevity um well what about what about some scares for you man i have um i have just real two two scares um and they were more freaky to me when i was younger um, but of course, the movie starts with a quote unquote gigantic spider. You know, like as soon as it goes through the model and it gets on that house, mm, the first right, thing is right, that right. big spider comes up, and I'm like, oh, I got, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a gigantic spider. Obviously, it's crawling on a model, but, but I, 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 you know, I was like, why is that movie going to start with a spider? Um, but my biggest sort of scare, obviously the whole thing is ghoulish and macabre, but my biggest sort of scare is when, when Beetlejuice first attacks the Dietzes after the Maitlands have kind of unleashed him uh-huh. and he turns into the banister snake, yep. uh, that is genuinely yeah, that's on unsettling. Yeah, and, yeah, that whole sequence. Uh, yeah, and so that was, that's really my only major scare is, uh, is that's a genuinely freaky, unnerving moment. Much of that was shot before Keaton was cast. Oh they yes, had to I did re, read this. Sort of retool the the facial element of the snake, so that it a more resembled Keaton. The purpose of that being so you knew this was Beetlejuice doing this. Right, right, exactly. Otherwise, if they had left it the way it was, there could be some ambiguity that was unintended. Sure, sure. Uh, but no, that 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 scene is on my scares list. Um, Two other little minor scares that I have on my list are the prawn hands, is what I called them. Oh yes, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's really oh disgusting. yeah, very much, very um, much so. 
And I referenced this a minute ago, but Adam and Barb falling apart, like, it's uh, really... Yeah, yeah. That would, I would imagine if I were six or seven, that component would probably freak me out. Sure, lot, sure. It's, it's really... Because, interestingly, the movie clearly plays with, its, with a set of rules, but mm-hmm. we're not privy to all those rules. Right. So what does it mean if this seance thing finishes? Well, this is a... That, oh, so, so are you asking? Well, I can't remember if they oh, specify real directly. So, so it's not real direct, but it's a payoff to what they were seeing when they walked through the doorways earlier and they came across Death for the Dead. What, what Otho is accidentally doing is exorcising them. Okay. He's, ac- he's accidentally exorcising the ghosts sure, by making sure, them sure. appear. And so had it gone through to fruition, they would have been exorcised right, and confined right, right, to right. that Death for the what Dead is chamber. The, that's in the lobby? It's not in the lobby. It's when they're walking down the hallway before they reach the oh, sixth door. Oh, right, right, door. right, right, right. Um, and Gina's with them and shows yeah, up. And yeah, but, but that janitor is there, and he yeah, drops right, the curtain. the janitor. You know, so, so that's, the, that's what's happening to them in that right. moment. So if it had been allowed to progress, yeah, they'd, they'd have been gone. They'd yeah, been so done. Yes, scary. Very scary. <laughs> um, well, I guess I guess that's as good a time to, as any to kind of yeah. steer into themes. Let's, uh, let's ha- I, I had one major theme for this, but I know that your affection... For this film is utterly rabid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer to you and let you lead the charge on thematic conversations because we'll either hit on mine, I'm sure, uh, in the course of conversation, or um, we can come back around to mine if it's utterly different. Um, you know, I, I was watching it real intently this time, for the first time doing so as being a part of the fear of God, with an eye towards theme and. At first glance, kind of struggled a little bit, um, but I think that there's a, there's a line in the movie that just just leapt out at me um, in a way that I was not really anticipating, and it's it's only about midway through the movie, but it never kind of got usurped by other thoughts. Um, and what that line is is the first time Adam and Barb get into the waiting room and Mm -hmm. they're talking to the clerk. Yes. And I actually don't know what their line is that prompts her line, but context clues can give some indication But what I wrote down is her line. And she says, this is what happens when you die. That's what happens when he died. Uh, That is what happens when they die. It's all very personal. mm. And man, that one just kind of quaked my spirit a bit like sure. because you know I'm not so old yet that I'm actively pondering what is going to happen to me when I die you know sure. or, or in right, the sense right, of right, right. it's staring me down in a natural sense right but a number of years ago my my so my maternal grandparents died both before I was 10 years old. So one when I was two, one when I was seven. So young enough to not have a ton of profundity attached to those experiences sure. psycholo- uh, intellectually. You know, right, right. Or even theologically. Um, emotionally, sure. Well, my final grandparent passed away six years ago now. So seven years ago now. And, and I just remember having a lot of... I'm not going to use... The, the word conf- conflicting is too strong. But I had a lot of feelings about it, like not just emotion, but like theological 
thoughts. Sure, sure. And and at that time was just really wrestling with. And 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 to this day, you know, I think this is going to be an ongoing wrestling, probably until my own very personal death, about the nature of death. And and mm. and, and one, I do think this movie is an interesting artifact from that standpoint. Sure, like it's, right. Whether it says anything definitively or not, I don't think is really the point as much as it engages a conversation about the afterlife. Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, through my grandmother's passing, I, I remember, I, I, I think I sort of remember, this is a bit of a free-flowing sort of thought train here, but I remember wrestling with not knowing, you know, the, the evangelical model can... can can come up short in many ways sometimes and one of those I felt like was my satisfaction with the language around death and dying right right which as so so then you hear uh, me initially dismiss a word like conflicting but you can see where this would become sure a ponderous sort of thing right you know, right I, I'm not really satisfied with what feels like a pat cookie cutter right either this or that kind of answer mm. um I think I've referenced this before, but to this day, and, and <laughs> this, is, this is oddly topical, to this day, when I know someone who's, who has lost someone close to them, I will, if I'm friends with them on Facebook, because I, I hate, I hate read the social media, I hate, I hate social media comfort. Mm, mm-hmm. You know? Thoughts and prayers. Right. Yeah. And ignoring even that, the weight of that in the relation to massive sort of devastation right. and no, things I like that. But, but, and so what I have sort of developed for myself um, is instead of, I, I, social media sort of um, doesn't require, but sort of begets a acknowledgement. Okay, mm. if, if you, a person in my sphere of social media life has had some devastation happen, it sort of is right and appropriate for me to acknowledge that. Right. But I didn't want to send the social media comfort, which is thoughts and prayers, or it's sure. praying for you, right. or right. hope it's right. all right. right. Hope you're, you'll be great. It's all going to be good. You're going to yes. be okay. It, you'll see them later. You know, like there's all this right, of course. shallow yeah. stuff, which mm-hmm. sounds real dismissive and jerkish towards people who do that. I don't really mean it necessarily. It just that it didn't do it for me. And what, if I were to receive all that, would, would I think feel satisfying? Mm-hmm. So I'm tying a lot of pieces of a puzzle together here, but um, so what I had begun to do, and last night you and I watched Halloween too, and you may have noticed me get diverted on my phone. Uh, a, a person who I knew from high school 20 years ago, but wasn't even that good of friends with then. Yeah. But through the course of the last few years, this person is an atheist, and 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 during the course of the last few years, have we've developed kind of a nice respect and bond through social media and all that sort of stuff. Father passed away. Oh. Yeah. And and I felt compelled to acknowledge this. Like right. we have right. this sort of understanding and respect for each other. I did for them what I've started to do in these contexts, and I've used this Tolkien text from mm. The Fellowship mm-hmm. from Return of the King. I think yeah. you and I may have talked about this before. Right. And it's Pippin and Gandalf uh, hiding, basically, mm. in, in, in the battlements of Gondor, waiting for the end. Sure. And Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we almost take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And this, this, this sentence, you know, 
if, if you imagine certain other more theological contexts, will always just rend my heart. Pippin with passion and, and curiosity says, what, Gandalf, what? What do you see? Mm. And Gandalf says, white shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no, it isn't. So, so there's that. And, and I, I'm, I may have more uh, here than I usually do, but I feel like it's not Beetlejuice itself, but this topic I, I have a lot of feelings on. You're familiar with Jean Vignet, Larsh yeah, Communities? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right, right, right. I reference On Being a lot. Go look up the May 2015 On Being interview with him. It's beautiful and wonderful as that man is. Um, he is, at the time of this recording, 79 years old. And there's something about age, and especially the age coupled with the work that he does, sure, that yields a measure of depth and profundity that we just don't typically have as people. Yeah, right, right. And he's telling the story. And, and what I'm driving at here is, is what this character says. This is what death is like for you. That's what it was like for him. That's right. what it's like for them. It's all very personal. Um, the unknowingness. Mm-hmm. And even wanting to encourage and challenge a little bit what we will often assume is a knowingness. You know what I mean? Like yes, yes. We, we pull from our church language bag of tricks a, a, a sense of knowing that I don't sure. really think is appropriate or even probably right. Right. Um, so, so Venier in this interview, he is talking about the afterlife. And he says, it's like my little niece who died of AIDS and she wasn't a believer. And she said, what's it going to be like? And I said, well, you're going to fall asleep. And when you wake up, you'll be in such joy, such peace, something that you've never, never lived before. And she said, but I'm not a believer. I said, but you remember when you were in that apartment in Paris and there were some Turkish immigrants that you made cakes for. I've always seen you as somebody kind. And so in your kindness, you'll find it'll be okay. And the rest we will discover. It's going to be exciting and wonderful. Mm. And I just, I don't know. There's something so appropriately mysterious sure. and personal. Right, right. You know, which is not, and I know you wouldn't suggest this, but, you know, so listeners don't accuse me of this, is not a, in any part, even remotely a dismissal of Christ's work and, no, and, no, and, no, I understand. And partnership in our passing. <laughs> right. It right. is to say, it's a very personal thing. Right. And we, we do well to not monolith it for people and, and, yeah, and, right. and make it all synonymous. Sure. You know, because it is very personal. Yeah, right, <laughs> As the course. death lobby civil yeah. servant says. Yeah, of course. Anyway, I know, I know that seems maybe a bit heavier than, than you know, might, this movie might suggest, but I don't know. It Matters really... of life and death? Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but it really is a movie about that kind of thing. Right. You know? Well, I, so I have a, my theme is, is utterly different. Um, so I want to respond to something that you, that you just said very tangibly before, if at all, we go into mine, because um, my, mine's an utterly different subject. Um, but one of the things that I think, like, so we will have, and I think this is what you were driving at, the, um, 
there will be people who've heard the, the, the beauty and the, the way you've expressed the story about Jean Vanier and, uh, your, and your friend who's, whose father had passed away. And, and there are people, and I hear it constantly, uh, nearly every week in church, you know, being a good person is not enough. And, and they'll say, um, you know, they will, as you acknowledged, the work of Christ is what, is what matters. Um, and you, you said it, you, you said it very definitively, but I want to uh, dig in and, and, and emphasize for people that we, while we would, I know you would, I don't know where I would land in this, would consider yourself, a, 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 I, I think, a hopeful inclusivist. Sure. Um, but not a universalist. Right, right. To say, like, oh, no, just good people just make it, and there's no problem. Right. That's not what you're saying. That's no, not what I get no. out of that story. Right. I know there may be some listeners who would sit in there and be like, what did, what did I just hear? Sure, because, sure. Because, boy, people latch on to stuff. But, um, so, so yes, the, the work of Christ is, is paramount in this. And, I want to I want to make a response to something that you just said, and then um and then I actually might have a pathway into briefly touch on my theme. And but, to your point, something I forgot to mention as a preface: we're here to explore, not explain. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, it is an exploration. It's not uh, it's not a definitive explanation. But I know, like, the thing that I specifically want to say about that is I think the work of Christ. I'll make two very very bold statements. One of which, more fundamental, fundamentalist uh, and or slash reformed are going to love. The second one might make them vomit. But I believe both of them. The first statement is this, that the complete work of Christ on the cross is the only way in which we come back into harmony with the Father. Period. Sure. The, the, the work that, in, in my theological construct, because we also have non-believers as well, in my theological construct, the way back to unity with the divine is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Like, period. The second statement is, we have so fine-tuned and systematized what that looks like. Sure, yes. That we have so um, rigidly said this is the way in which you come in contact with that. Right. Um, that is what I balk against. Right. Um, anybody who would say like, oh, well, are you a pluralist? Are you? Because there is the other argument where people would say um, like, oh, well, yeah, Jesus is the only way, but there are many paths to Jesus. I don't think that either. Here's what I think. I think that the hardest any human being would try to share the gospel with someone or would bring them back into union with the Father Christ himself is trying infinitely harder sure, to do the same sure, thing. Sure. I believe that deeply, that as much as we may make effort to evangelize or to witness to others, we will never hold a candle to the efforts at which Christ right now at this moment is actively trying to reconcile people back to the heart of God. Right. Um, and so to that end, Jean Vanier's statement to, to his dying friend and, and any of that other, like, it fits part and parcel with what I believe to be the work of Christ, right, right. Of, of bringing someone in contact with the beauty of the gospel. Sure. And I feel like sometimes we can, I'll never forget that I felt so frustrated at one point because I was in college, I was in the early days of my college years, and uh, it was pre you and my knowing each other. Um, but I was feeling that very, doesn't exist. I know, right? Um, I was feeling very um, 
upset by some things that I had seen and heard and done and and my friend who thought it was funny and who thought it was fun uh, we sort of talked through it all and I had felt a little slimy by all of it it was nothing inappropriate in terms of like illegal or that anybody else here would balk at but I just at the time felt very convicted like should I have even been in that place or done that thing um, and it was, I mean I can be candid it was nightclub and drinking a few drinks like nothing inappropriate happened but at the time and where I was in my in my life I thought now that's just another Wednesday night I know right but but I was like I felt very <laughs> upset by it all and my friend looked right at me and he said will you feel better if we just say the sinner's prayer so I can move on and I will never forget I have that has echoed in my mind many many times about how dismissive I make the gospel when I make it about a system Hmm. Yeah. And how dismissive I am to the people think like, oh no, this you know, you're actually bringing glory to Christ when you you know lead people in that in that very specific way. And I'm not even minimizing leading people in that very specific way because right, I have other right, stories right, I right. could share where that was on the table and the the presence I felt in that room is inexplicable. Sure. So so I'm not dismissing any of that. I am just saying there are people who would balk at the loveliness of which you just expressed and say. Like, oh yeah, but you got to lead them to 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 the cross, the Romans Road, and right, you've got right, to say right. the sinner's prayer and everything like that. To which I would encourage, like, hey, if you need a system for apologetic evangel evangelism, um, uh, there's a place for that. Sure. There's definitely a place for that. There's definitely a time for that. Um, I think we do ourselves a disservice to minimize the gospel to that to that format. And, and that it most certainly is not the gospel itself. Exactly. And, and I think exactly. that's where people get in trouble, and whole groups of people get in trouble is, you know. Have, have your system, but recognize that your system is not the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly. You that know? is still and, and always will be Christ himself. I, I want you to finish where I think you're going. I, something that I probably abuse. One of my favorite lines in all of cinema that at least I've consumed is a constant refrain of Jeffrey Rush's character in Shakespeare in Love when he's mm -hmm. asked a thing and he says, I don't know. It's a mystery. Oh, right, 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 right. I love that. The it. level of application I have for that is just yeah. mountainous. I love it. Um, you know, again, to the point that I may over overuse it to the point that maybe, hey, Nathan, I want you to learn a little bit more. Uh, you know, but <laughs> I do think things like this. I think if someone were to come to me and with certainty declare certain things about life, death, and our experience and God's role in it, I'd say, well, yeah, I don't really buy that. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, because I'm like, you, you, you can't be certain about that. It is a mystery. Sure. And I think... I, I, I think I think that's part of, I mean, it's part of faith is, is absolutely accepting certain things as mystery. Yeah, anyway, and, I, and I jumped in on you there. No, no, just a, a, an, an inescapable element of faith, substantial faith, is dancing with mystery. You have to do it. You have to acknowledge that that's part of what it is. Sure. Um, there is a part. There is knowledge. There is understanding. There is seeking and learning and knowing. Um, but part of it is dancing with a mystery. Um, I want to, uh, we, we've already been talking for a while, I, I'm, I'm going to hit and run my theme, um, because I think another element of, of dancing with the mystery is not only just matters of life and death, well, you articulated some beautiful things about death, much of mine uh, had to do with, with life, and what I, what I mean by that is like living with others. So sure. what I got overwhelmingly from this viewing of the film is the Maitlands for the bulk of the... So, so okay, let me formulate my thoughts quickly. Beetlejuice dubs himself as a job. 
he dubs himself a bio-exorcist, which sure. if you parse out the term means expel the living. Sure. That's what, he, that's what he brings to the table. Now, the Maitlands, that's their goal. Right, right, right. The entire film is they want to expel the Dietzes from their home. We want to get them out. And in fact, uh, there's a line where, um, where Alec Baldwin says, you know, we wouldn't mind sharing the house with, I, I actually can't remember if it's Baldwin or Davis, but we actually wouldn't mind sharing the house with someone who was, actually it is Davis, because then Juno says, more like you used to be. Right, so Juno right. says, you wouldn't mind, you know, basically finishes the sentence, yeah, of course, you wouldn't mind sharing the house with someone who was more like you used to be. Sure. And then Baldwin says, but these people, you right, know. Right, and, and so it really struck out to me this time around of neighborliness, mm -hmm. of the idea of, like, they want to get these people out. They want to get rid of these people. That's the Maitland's entire mission. And they spend most of the movie thinking that the Dietzes are their antagonist. When really it's the one trying to expel them. It's Beetlejuice. Sure, sure, sure. The Maitlands spend most of the film thinking that the the Dietzes are the problem. When in fact, it is it is actually Beetlejuice right. that is the problem. Right. And one of the things that I, you know, I just, I think I can hit and run with this and not extrapolate it too much. Just frequently we consider that the problem is if only we didn't have to deal with them if only we didn't have to deal with the other right right then everything would be okay and we could deal with this um but it is imperative that it, actually the the greatest joy i love the conclusion of the film because they are living in, all in unity to each other yeah, yeah. they are all reconciled a, to each other that's such an amazing scene too i love that scene yes and that they live you know they are performing ghostly happenings on on uh, Delia, and then he's like, Lydia, "Oh, Lydia, Lydia, sorry." They're performing ghostly happenings on Lydia, and then uh, her dad's like, "Oh, sounds like Lydia got a male yeah, math yeah, test," yeah. you know. And and she's and and uh, the mom is back to the stepmom is back to sculpting again, and sure, and sure. so so all of those things work in harmony together, and it's beautiful and it's lovely, and and so this is the scripture that I had. Can I encourage a thought there that may inform sure, exactly what sure, you're going sure, to, sure. but, but, but uh, substantiates what you're saying? Um, you know, in many ways, until she calls, and, and here's maybe a good object lesson uh, and, and partnered theme with what you're talking about. Lydia is, at least in the character's DNA, the, the reconciler. I mean, she's, right. she's the right. one who, because if you, if you pull Beetlejuice out of the story, Lydia's the only one who can interact with Adam and Barbara. With both worlds. So, right, right. So theoretically, that would mean she's the only one who could bring them together. She takes a shortcut. So sure. there's a whole theme we could explore there of oh, man. In, yeah. in our faith life, what it means to take shortcuts to reconciliation. Yeah. And, and, and shortcutting to reconciliation unleashes Beetlejuice. Right, right, it's, it's right. right. It's, it's really what we're looking at. Um, so, yeah. He's got demons running all through him. <laughs> it's showtime. Um, but I, I will say, like, you know, we, we've been going for a while, so as, as a way to wind down, I'll just bring in this scripture, and then uh, I love Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 just very simply says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Mm. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I think what a, like, can we just tattoo that to the souls of everybody on Facebook, everybody in politics, oh. everybody in life right now? Just No, they're it, not on their souls, on their foreheads. Uh, so they read one, it every the time they look. One, question is, yes. is their souls. Yeah, uh, mm. Two is they won't see it. Mm, right. Yes. But you know my point, that, like, that, that 
where it is possible as far I love that inclusion as much as it depends on you right in other words it all depends on you exactly <laughs> but, but to that end it's like sometimes you can't reason with people right 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 but you can be reasonable right. you can be right. consistently reasonable right. So in as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sure. And um, and I think that's, you know, Beetlejuice is, is a lovely a lovely way to to sort of parse out what that looks like in a fantastical yeah. uh, in a fantastical story to just say like, yeah, uh, uh, recon- be reconciled one to another, right. you know, like it's it's fun. It's uh, it's good and and yeah. So so Unless you had anything I, more specific, I, burning to say, you want to, you want. I think it's inevitable at this point, but you want to give our David S. Pumpkins ratings for for old yeah, Beetlejuice. Let's do it. So, I don't know what you mean is inevitable, but I'm, 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 <laughs> here to bring, I'm here to bring the pumpkins. Sure, sure. So, um, as we do on every single film that we rate, we rate on a met- metric of style, scares, and substance. And uh, we aggregate it with a number of David S. Pumpkins. So, Nathan, I think I know your answer already, but what would you give Beetlejuice in the realm of style? I would, uh, I think, my friend, give it a six, if I could. (laughs) As would I. I don't want to break the system, so I'll give it a five. I completely agree. I would give it a five utterly and uh, with an an unqualified five, as it were. Um, And so, but now here's one thing. You know, I thought we might be just giving this like tens, but no, I, I think but it's going to be a little tempered. In in the area of scares, uh, I would think I would. I, I'm honestly, it's more comedy than it is horror sure, for me. Sure. So in the area of scares, I think I'm just going to say a. I'm going to land at a two. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do think it's got some scary imagery. Um, Actually, I'm going to go two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. Okay. Yeah. I can I can let you do that. Uh, um, it's got some scary imagery. I do think. The chaos potential of Beetlejuice kind of has a scary quality to it. Sure, um, so sure. I, I, I'll probably land at a three with that. Okay. Um, and then, what would you say for for substance? Um, substance is a little hard to quantify because clearly I brought a lot to it, but I do as did I. I do think a movie, even comedically, even sort of horror comedically, dealing with life and death, asking questions of afterlife, is is a, is an interesting conversation so sure I, I think, sure I think I'm gonna go three and a half okay um, and I actually think I'm, I'm gonna land on like a three okay um, because I do think that while there is a lot there I think that we bring a lot to it we bring a lot to the conversation um, so right. that means and I actually uh, I, I'm happy with this I like it that actually means that we give Beetlejuice seven out of ten. David S. Pumpkins. I can live with that. I can live with I it can too. die with that too. <laughs> I could be reconciled <laughs> <Yeah>. with that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I I'm, wow. I'm very happy. I'm very happy with uh, with David S. Pumpkins. The, the wind is kind of picking up, so I think we should probably. I think that's our cue to uh, wind down. Beetlejuice is trying to exorcise us. Um, so, uh, yeah, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Uh, Nathan, Reed. 
Thank you so Merry much. Merry Christmas, for, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yes. Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, you can do so in a variety of ways. Uh, I'm probably just going to tag our social media cues on the end of this episode. Sounds good. And, at the Fear of God. At Reed Lackey. <laughs> at the Nathan Rallis. <laughs> That's the one. Fear of God podcast at gmail.com. You guys know it. Find us on point. Facebook. Exactly. Happy um, New Year, everybody. So, Happy New Year, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this walk down Scary Burton Christmas. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in 2018, everybody. Sonora, I tell you friends I adore her, and when she dances, oh brother, she's a hurricane in all kinds of weather, jump in the line, rock your body on time, okay. The Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.